0: Wow. your mic josh i'm ready cool 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 one, Five, four, three, two, one. welcome back everyone to the savage cromcast i've already i've already named the other fellows on the mic i am i'm luke uh and i'm the third of the cromcast trio and we are continuing down the left-handed path with carl edward wagner's Kane. this is season 13 and for this episode we are Beginning to discuss the novel Bloodstone. How's it been going, guys?
1: Living that pandemic dream.
2: That's right. That's me too.
1: <laughs> Nightmares <laughs> are dreams too. It counts.
2: Those this, this bright, living in those bright lights <laughs> that's the pandemic. Yep. How about well, you?
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> is, all, is all well in your household?
0: Yeah, man. I'm. I'm just doing what I can to keep my keep my head. i uh, have avoided the plague thus far. <laughs> that's yep. far. Yep. What uh? What are you drinking there, John?
1: I'm having some Wild Turkey 101 tonight. Nice. cool. You chasing with anything? Just my my hopes and dreams.
2: <laughs> and some WT.
1: <laughs> what about you, Josh?
2: What do you got? I've got uh. I, there was a good deal on Guinness at Costco, and I bought a whole bunch of Guinness, and now I'm drinking a whole bunch of Guinness. <laughs> nice, How about you, Luke.
0: I am drinking hams. I have uh, a couple of those pints that I brought up here with me to the computer, the computer room. So I'm hamming it up. That's what I got going.
2: The bloodstone room.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's true.
2: Redecorated. Got a (laughs) primordial gem wedged into your ceiling.
0: Yeah, man. That's what uh, that's what we're drinking. Are you guys ready to 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 move quick? I feel like we're moving fairly quick here, but we'll go ahead and hop over to our one things if we're ready. I skip. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, I can slow
2: us down here for one thing.
0: <laughs> no, man. Let's uh. Burp, 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 burp. <laughs> one thing that was like the uh, the air horn. That's what I was going for there. That was good. You definitely had the disc jockey sort of persona on for a second. <laughs> call me Nick Kroll (laughs) (laughs) I'm not quite as funny as Nick Kroll I'll be honest but I still we both like the air horn so
1: (laughs) are you in a Facebook group together for air horn aficionados no I follow him
0: on Instagram does he follow the promcast I don't think so after this episode he probably will you will maybe throw him out some some kudos like hey follow back at me uh (laughs)
1: HMU. John,
0: John, what is
1: uh, what is your one thing? Do you have it? I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I do. Uh, I feel very defensive. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, I am going to continue. So the last time I think I talked about the Spectre comics or one of the times before and I have been mainlining my way through some of my other comic collections that I've accrued over the years and I moved into another John Ostrander and Tom Mandrake production, which was the Martian Manhunter series that ran from the late 1999 DC Comics runs into the early 2000 and 2001, I want to say. It was about 36 issues. It was good. It's not as good as the Spectre was, but John Jones is one of my favorite characters in the DC universe, and I really like seeing him at play. And there were some really early issues in it that break out his world into a bigger worldview. like they, They established that the Martian Manhunter is to much of the rest of the planet what Superman is to America. Like he's taken up residence in all these different countries and he's sort of a personal superhero for some of those different places. In Japan, for example, he takes on the form of Jade Bio Giant and he fights uh, giant monsters for them when they show up. And he sort of moonlights during the day as a businessman, he owns a large corporation. In Japan and then turns into the the Bio Warrior. So there's lots of interesting ins and outs of that. It kind of fizzles toward the end. It's clear that they got caught up in like events and that the book just wasn't being taken very seriously. And I think that Ostrander kind of got robbed of giving it a good ending, but it really was a lot of fun. So if you're into that character and you haven't uh, checked it out before, I've only found it in Floppy so far. I think maybe they collected the first 6 or 12 issues, but The rest of it I haven't seen collected anywhere so you might have to scour around but I got them all mostly for a buck or two bucks depending on where I got them from so it's not too hard to come by.
0: Is there a a larger kind of story to it from what you're reading? The beginning
1: part is a lot about the relationship between John and his brother who has the classic comic book name of Malifak and he is his evil twin basically if you couldn't get it from the name and he's the reason that The Martians all died out. He's the one that invented Haranmer's curse, the psychic plague that wiped out the Martians. And so for about, I want to say about 12 issues, it's a lot about the interplay between them as sort of shadow cells of each other and family curses that get placed on you by your parents, sort of. That was one of the things that I thought was really cool. And then John is also in the crosshairs of the Department of Metahuman Affairs and they want to release a lot of his secret identities to the world. And there's just a lot of cool, interesting action sort of around all that. So there was that. And then after that, it was sort of it, it meandered. There were lots of one-offs and ins and outs of other things. The there was one point where it's clear that John has this history with Darkseid that nobody knows about. And I guess that he lived, according to this run, he lived on apocalypse for several years trying to free Martians that had been kidnapped by the apocalyptic government and he and Kanto and Darkseid, they have this long history together. So that was sort of another interesting angle that he built on him. But other than that, it was everywhere all over the place. Like I've been while describing it.
0: So uh, (laughs) one more question. Who is Kanto?
1: I don't even know that. So Kanto is Darkseid's personal assassin. He wears this really dope puffy hat and puffy tunic and it's purple. And he's got like these, yellow and black and white diamonds all over his costume and he carries a fencing rapier that is like electrocharged or something and it can touch things when they're intangible like the martian manhunter is and so they have sort of this personal rivalry because they were friends at first when the martians and apocalyptans met each other but then it sort of churns into this bitter rivalry after it becomes clear that he was always going to betray john so that's who kanto is he's got a big mustache too
2: that's awesome, man. Kirby
1: was very on the nose with some of his drawings. So,
2: so what is it about John Jones that you dig? Is it the? Wasn't he kind of a PI like classically yeah. Martian Man? John Jones, kind of a, a private investigator.
1: The manhunter aspect is always cool. Like he was a detective. He had a good run in Detective Comics as well. Uh, I think as a backup character to the main Batman stories or Bat Family stories that were in there. So there was always that aspect of it, but I was really introduced to him through the Justice League cartoon. I don't know if you also remember that, Josh, but I will be very honest. Like middle school me, when they said his name was John, I was like, "Oh, hey, a dude with my name!" Uh, like I just sort of remember connecting with that. And then I like his otherness. I like the the stories that they tell with him sometimes about feeling outside of things, even though he's a part of the Justice League family. Like he struggles to find his individual identity in a lot of ways. And I like it when he and Superman hang out because they're the same character. They have a lot of the same powers and the same story, the last of their race. But the idea, like it's that immigrant story of Kal-El came as a baby and John came as an adult. And so they can't, one of them can't escape his past and the other one doesn't really understand it. And I think that they have interesting conversations when that gets explored in the comics. Who's next?
0: Uh, Josh, what is your one thing, sir?
1: Uh, mine is comic book related too, although it's it's
2: film adaptations. I've been watching the Tim Burton Batman movies recently. We last time we we got online, we three we uh, we didn't podcast, but we talked about. I brought up the Batman and the the weirdness surrounding that Tim Burton nineteen eighty nine Batman movie, right? Uh, just from top to bottom, <laughs> and watched through uh batman and and then watched batman returns uh on consecutive nights and those movies are super weird you guys it's true and it's you know i i love them both in different ways and batman returns has always struck me as the the more the the inferior of the two um which may be a hot take i'm not sure i think people tend to like one over the other Right, but I I just there's something about Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker and his one-liners and how much fun he seems to be having, just chewing up all the scenery. Michael Keaton is a good Bruce Wayne, and I I actually think I've I've warmed to him as Batman over the years. Um, he wasn't my favorite Batman, but I I think he's he's becoming one of my faves. <laughs> but yeah, just the weirdness that is Tim Burton directing. Batman and Batman Returns and Batman Returns especially is about broken people who cannot be repaired in this city full of broken people who cannot be repaired it, it's it is uh there's a lot of layers to it in terms of its its story it's it, it's very bleak and uh very Burtony in ways that the first the the first one wasn't
1: I distinctly remember being horrified by the Penguin as a child when I first saw Batman Returns, and it stuck with me. I think I was probably too young when I watched that movie. I won't, It came out in 92, right? I think so. And so I was five then. I want to say I watched it when I was six or seven. And seeing a man with penguin flippers for hands eat a raw fish like he does <laughs> and walk around with exploding penguins, that does something to a kid. It probably explains how I ended up with this crew, but... uh <laughs> It's, it was it's Maybe. definitely something did you uh did you join a
2: circus and and <laughs> I mean, as as the penguin boy no i wasn't <laughs> a
1: penguin i've made i could have ended up as robin i guess but instead i'm a crime
2: <laughs> i guess uh <laughs> luke what what's your uh take on batman and uh batman returns from tim burton
0: I mean, the the uh, the the Batman of my my childhood. I liked them both. I watched the hell out of both of them, so I don't guess I have a preference. Like thinking back on it, I just liked how weird Michelle Pfeiffer was.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh so. right! Doesn't she like swallow a bird? She puts it in her mouth. She doesn't really swallow it. She <laughs> oh yeah! Her mouth, like rubbing her stomach and going making yummy noises.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a long time.
2: Um, yeah. The the interesting thing for me rewatching. Batman returns in 2021 is this idea that they are trying to make Oswald Cobblepot a, a sympathetic politician, right. but he's a supervillain on the side. And just thinking about that in terms of our political climate today, <laughs> it was pretty interesting. Like the, the imaging that they have to do for him and he's always oh, he's looking for his family and he's, it's not his fault. He's like this, and and isn't he nice? But really, like he is sexually harassing every woman that he speaks to in the movie. He bites somebody's nose off. He he's a, he's just a monster. He's a he's an unrequited sort of fiend. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot there to unpack with with Batman Returns, and I think probably more to unpack there than in the first movie. But the first movie is a more straightforward comic book sort of romp, and Nicholson's. Joker one-liners are are pretty infectious. Like this this town needs an anima. That's a good one. Uh never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> just randomly out of nowhere. What? Rewatch those Burton Batman movies. They're they're better than you remember or if you love them it's it's time for a rewatch.
0: Nice, man. Uh my one thing is something that I actually just got into a couple days ago. Uh it's an album uh, from a band that I wasn't familiar with, but uh, the band is called Slift. S L I F T. I guess they're French. They're from Toulouse. But the album that just dropped, I guess last year in 2020, because well, we're now in <laughs> we're now in 2021. But less than a year ago, this album dropped. It's called Uman, and the the album art is pretty awesome. There's kind of a a muscular individual. Uh, charging across the cosmos, and he's got a big-ass sword behind him, and it's all black and white, and it's very... I guess uh, I'll think about the, the the comic book artist that it reminds me of here at some point, but it's good stuff. It's it's space rock. It's not... I wouldn't say it's metal. At this point, listening to it, a few times over, it's a lengthy hour-plus. Maybe it's like 70 minutes, the, the whole album, of being just this just jamtastic guitar worship like fuzzed out space rock it's good stuff and that's what I would that's what I'd say if you're looking for something to just kind of ride down the road to or do some do some work to check out the album Uman by Slift uh, and I think uh, I think it'll pay off so that's my one thing uh, you put them all together those three and you know what
1: you get <laughs> Is that it, thing is it one thing? That's it's a,
0: thing. a it's a big thing. So you guys want to talk about some uh, some Wagner? It's sort of what we do. Yeah, talk about some some Kane.
2: Eh? Yeah, eh? yeah, yeah. Undertaker's brother. We brought that up or not?
0: <laughs> so uh, this is a novel, which is different than what we've talked about at this point over the season but we have talked about novels in the past of course with dune we sort of spread it out over multiple episodes and that's a longer form thing but how did we tackle uh and the conqueror hour of the dragon did we break that up into two episodes three episodes
2: that one was two, two i think
0: yeah. okay have we ever like how have we dealt with other longer form items
2: dune we did in three i yeah. think and that was that one we actually could have probably split it up even more.
0: Yeah I feel like maybe we had four episodes for the whole the whole season. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a shorter a shorter season but I guess what I'm getting at and we we talk, kind of talked around this before before we got on the mics to record but I got about a third of the way through the story. Uh, how far did you all get?
2: I, I finished chapter six and and was about halfway through chapter seven. When I had to stop reading earlier this evening, uh-huh. uh, my, my goal was to get through chapter 12, so I didn't quite make my goal, but yeah. uh, it sounds like we had similar stopping points. How about you, John?
1: I got through chapter 11. I stopped at 12. Oh, oh wow. Good. You, you uh, surpassed us both. I will try not Yo. to spoil anything about <laughs> the upcoming robot fight or anything. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, at least according to my paperback count, that's about a third of the way, like the the distance that I got, yeah. uh, like basically at the end of chapter six. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if we're gonna do one more episode on Bloodstone or if we'll break it up into two remains to be seen. but but with the content that we're talking about here, we're talking about the first chunk of the story, the first third to the first half, depending on how how deep we go Mm -hmm. so that's what we're doing and bloodstone was the third novel that wagner published on kane i don't know if you guys have 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 looked at the the production uh, uh details here but this this book came out in 75 whereas uh darkness weaves came out in 70 and death angel shadow came out in 73. So this was the third novel and I didn't have a chance to look this up, but he wrote a lot of this material kind of out of sequence. So this is a book that, uh, that ultimately was the third of the novels and is kind of late in terms of a lot of the Kane publication materials, but at least with what we're reading so far, It's not entirely clear how it fits into the Kane chronology to me. What did you guys think about that?
1: I definitely got the feeling of it being later than anything we had encountered really so far. It just seems like Kane is wearier or something. Like there's a a darkness to him. Like he's so bored. And that made me feel like it had gotten on in years even more than we had when the last time we visited him.
2: He's he doesn't seem quite as as spry, like he's distracted maybe by the, the bloodstone or maybe he's distracted by larger machinations that he's putting together that we just haven't. Uh, at least I haven't made it to, but it, he does seem like he is not quite with it in terms of his um, ability to fight the uh, toad men. That that called to mind Luke's uh, one page dungeon.
1: Yeah, so, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. I I kept thinking about that and and uh, was like, yeah, man, we gotta we gotta play that. <laughs> uh, but it, it did seem like Cain, like something something was on his mind, and maybe it's the Bloodstone Ring, maybe it's uh, the desperation, seeing all of his mercenaries just dropping one by one, that that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I, I know that there's a clearer chronology with like uh, Darkness Weaves fits into some short story materials. It ties into novellas. There's, a, there's an overarching sort of connection of stories, but – I'm not familiar with how this novel sandwiches in within the larger chronology and there are some Kane chronologies that are out there and we'll look into that like maybe when we come back for our next episode to ca- have kind of a better idea I would I would also hazard to guess that there's going to be some sort of emergent story that, that pops out here too right like as we get more secondary characters pulled into the story we're probably going to get a healthier dose of like what the world is so what else uh do we want to do kind of things that we like things that stood out do we want to take that approach or do you guys want to sort of walk through it according to the chronology of the story what do you want to do
1: john i always like when we do what we like
0: yeah let's do that I can start. So things that we like. I like a crazy bat winged goddess with a bunch of dead worshipers inhabiting a ruined castle. I thought that was such a cool character for Cain to interact with early on in the story. I don't know. It just it kinda took me by surprise when he was dealing with these these dead knights that were like admitting him into the castle it just strikes you how how dark the story is
2: what do you guys think about that yeah i'm trying to th- think of her name I, i've flipped through my i have this on kindle and so it's hard to hard to flip through but uh it, her name started with a j it's like jenna jenna or something like j- that
1: Jonakest.
2: that's it there we go yeah jana Kess, and and she felt like the statement on this old religion that has fallen out of favor and no one remembers it but the god or goddess still is around it kind of reminded me it reminded me of american gods
0: yeah yeah i got a similar feel yeah she's kind of persisting and she's got like this psychic energy that she's like like sucking off of
2: mm-hmm. she's still there but she's 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 a a ghost of her former self right like she's she's not nearly uh living the glory that she once may have lived and i love that kane tells her oh yeah i've been i was thinking about you and i've been meaning to come back you know look thinking about the surroundings of this tower and how awful things <laughs> kind of are <laughs> there no he wasn't <laughs> and she kind of thinks that too right like yeah you're here cuz you want to you want a translation of this book she knows yeah
1: yeah right. Jonathan, baby, you've been on my mind, I promise. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. By the way, where's my trunk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how some stuff here. She has rows and rows of like shark like teeth, right? Like she's she's kind of terrifying.
0: Yeah, I like I like how Wagner uh kind of unspools her description, because at least with with me as I was reading it. I mean, there's a level of like sensuality with how she's how she's depicted and there's clearly some romantic interactions between Kane and her, but like you get the fuller and the fuller description of what she looks like with like a silvery mane and these bat wings and these teeth and it kind of happens over time, so it makes you kind of question like Oh, those feelings that I was, how do I, how do I reconcile this? Like as you're reading it in real time, it kind of, it kind of plays with your emotions. I think it's, I think it's very clever writing. And I I really appreciated the way like the, the, the horror played out on the page here.
1: Kane has a thing for wings. Yeah, he does. Doesn't he? You know,
2: given that, that this character has wings like that, it, it makes me wonder more about that character that we met in uh, the story that Luke was, kind of drawn to what, which one was that? Yeah, it was in uh, it was in the dark muse, the dark Muse, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, good world building here, uh, with an economy of words, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You get a, you get a feeling of the age of the world and the decadence. Like that's the emergent, you know, that's one of the emergent themes within, uh, Wagner's materials is death and decay of civilizations. Like, long, long deaths. (laughs) It's something that plays out over, over his stories. So what about y'all? What was something that you guys liked?
1: You go next, John. I am a sucker for an ancient alien sort of piece of a story. Uh, I don't believe in ancient aliens just as a disclaimer in case I've never said that before, but I do love these sorts of, uh, I guess these sort of sci-fi or fantasy elements where we start talking about time before time and, pre-human civilizations and this decay that luke was sort of referring to so any sort of bit about uh, space rock that lands on earth and has frog people living in a geometric city around it is going to pique my interest and i would love to conjure up the ghost of carl edward wagner and see what he thinks of that history channel show about ancient aliens and to see what he would say about people like david ikes who talk about these reptilians and stuff and to see I, I think that we're at this weird point in time where all of those sorts of fringe theories and like von Eric von Daniken stuff is it's so mainstream and it's so bizarre that there are people that believe in so much of it. And so I like seeing these pulpy roots of some of these weird modern conspiracies, I guess, is the best way to put it. And so I was really into exploring this city and hearing the story that Kane gets blasted into his brain. And now I'm afraid that I've gone beyond where you guys are in the book, so I'm gonna stop talking. Okay. <laughs>
0: no, man, I think I, I think it's okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's okay a, it's, too. A, it's an old book and we're gonna read it regardless. So spoiler. Yeah. I'm going to keep going. I mean, I got to the point where uh Kane became like He's a rigid, as a, rigid as a light pole because of an orgiastic eternally painful like jolt of electricity between the big bloodstone and his baby bloodstone ecstasy and knowledge he's about to get it it seems like yeah it is like the city itself is really fascinating like once he gets into the toad the toad people's realm like you're there in the swamp like this is it is a very alien setting the way the stonework is described uh and the way that the the central like obelisk is described it's very it's very spooky like this this spire that just sort of shoots up out of the middle of the swamp it's cool
2: it is cool the approach to the city was really fascinating to me this this idea of this blasted land surrounding this ancient city that is cursed that had been blasted by nature and, and the swamps had overtaken it that's pretty neat it was very reminiscent of of like uh you know thinking about atlantis or or in the cthulhu mythos uh Rullier or any number of uh cities like uh, the doom that came to sarnath right mm-hmm. like these these cities that grew too big for their own good and uh were slapped down Bicycle. Yeah, I
0: I thought about like uh, outside of Lankmar. There's like swamplands that that Fawford and are moved through, where they're sort of like working along causeways and and viaducts and trying to keep <laughs> keep out of the water. I thought about that. I also thought about like a Mad Max Fury Road. Like once they get out out, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they're passing through the the, the weird sort of swampy like. Desolation. I mean, it's it's a much greener world than what's described in that in that sort of like visual narrative. But like, that's the kind of cloudy, foggy, fearful place, like the setting that I was envisioning.
2: Mm-hmm. And you said the word desolation, and I I just recently watched or rewatched those the three Hobbit movies that Peter Jackson did, and uh, I think one detail that I didn't notice the first time through. That I noticed this time was the the idea of the desolation of smog, which is the title of the second movie. Like the area around the lonely mountain that is just dead. Right there's nothing except for Lake Town uh, off in the distance. But the closer you get to the mountain, the worse things are. There 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 are no birds. There are no uh, green things. There's there's nothing. It's just the mountain, and it's uh, a result of smog's uh, corruption. Just okay. Much- the land
1: yeah (laughs) have you guys ever been in a swamp that was like this
2: so i
0: i haven't this was this was something that i liked the fact that this swamp is cold like that it's kind of like a swamp in the in the winter that was jarring to me also just like the level of clamminess and i guess like cold mistiness of it was another level of like spooky uncertainty like it just it, it made it seem all the more alien to me
1: i agree it reminded me a lot of the woodlot that was across from where i grew up and one of the ones in the back and they're both very swampy areas my home county has got a history of being quite swampy and undesirable and uh, this woodlot across the way. If you, could go, if you would go in there in the winter, there were all these trees that had fallen down because the ground couldn't support them anymore. And there were just these huge, frozen, soggy puddles of muck that you could sort of walk on, but you could feel that it was still sort of untenable as a position to stand on for too long. And yeah, it, it reminded me a lot of those kinds of adventures as a kid where my brother and I would would pretend to get lost in a half-acre woodlot full of swamp land
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah and it's oh sorry go ahead go ahead Uh, i was just gonna add you know gray skies like the, the the vision here is that it's it's never quite day and it's never quite night it's just fog and murk all around like you know you think about any number of pulp adventuring tales in a swamp and and lots of classic sword and sorcery depictions of swampy environs and sort of exotic locations. It's like it's a fresh green hell. Like it's it's like it's daylight. It's green, vibrant growth. This is just dead and decadence and gray. Like that's that's what what uh, what I kept thinking of was just the overall cold, murky, nature of it
1: and don't forget there are battle toads ready to stab you with a poison spear on every side
2: did you notice that he used the word liana a lot to, to describe the vines
0: i i, I had I, yeah i didn't notice that
2: i thought that was cool i hadn't seen that word since botany uh in <laughs> undergrad like i that's that's uh that's not one that comes up very frequently for me
0: and he's he's good with his frog words too, right? Betrachian yeah, and buf, bu, bufanoid or bufanoid. Uh yeah. there's lots of good uh words as opposed to just saying, and the frogmen jumped with their poison spears. It was <laughs> you know, Betrachian.
2: barbarians. It's yeah, it's incredible. So yeah, that that uh that was one of the things I liked quite a bit was was this this sense of desolation as you, as you got closer to the the city.
0: Cool. So we've, we've kind of jumped to about the, the ending point of where we all were reading, which is to say like within the desolation of the, of the frogmen, uh this, this, this area, but there's, this is very much a sword and sorcery yarn. The way the novel is written is episodic in nature, right? Like I know, That this was published as a novel, but that said, I could easily have envisioned Wagner cooking up this story as a series of like vignettes that ultimately were welded together. Did you guys pick that up? Like the prologue is this cool little nugget, and then we get Kane as the almost like the political engineer, like he's the He's he's working with a politician and the politician is cool. So maybe we can dial things back and talk about some of the earlier events in this story, because we kind of got to the blood and thunder with <laughs> with with where we're at so far. But there's a lot of like uh like palace intrigue that happens earlier or at least like political maneuverings that are explained. And then, of course, there's the there's the damned ring that we can kind of talk about too. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I wrote down in, in my, my things that I liked, uh, Cain as courtier. I mean, he approaches this, this princeling, right? This, this, uh, royal, this noble as, uh, someone who is bringing a gift because he knows that this guy collects uh, things from ancient, uh, cities like, uh, uh I've forgotten the name of it. Uh, the the ancient city where Cain was ruling, mm-hmm. and uh, he also kind of uses that as a means to um wet this this noble man's whistle in terms of like you know I read something in this book that about this city down in the swamps and I could go down there with a handful of men and bring back all these ancient weapons, this technology that that undoubtedly is there i just need to be outfitted and if you do that then i'll make you the most powerful person in the in the world it's it's great he's manipulating this person on several different fronts
0: yeah it's a cool it's a a cool kind of presentation of kane and i guess it kind of aligns with what we saw in the dark muse where he is interacting within like pro- political so uh, circles and I also think about like uh within that within that story there's instances midway to the back way through where he's like this is the old goddess's temple and he's sort of like he's he's talking about some old deep history and people within the story the the other characters are are kind of taken aback with his his level of knowledge that's afforded by just his age and who he is. You get a bit of that with him interacting with the political machine in this story. It's cool to see Cain <laughs> making use of that eternal life and having lots of lots of information that he can kind of use. And I, I like that. I also enjoyed seeing... Uh, uh, I guess, like, what's the right word? Like, Cain just... He just basically justifies, hey, I'm a dude that can get things done, and I do things at this point in my life because it entertains me. You know, afford me some some resources, and I, I'll make it worth your while.
1: <laughs> it is interesting to see him as the maneuverer rather than as the ruler because we've seen him in that position of high, exalted power, and it almost seems like he enjoys this more. Like, he doesn't have to be the main player So he gets a lot of the side action. And I'm intrigued by the political aspects of this story just because it does come off as very wise of it. Like he's playing everybody like a fiddle that he's talking to and he knows just how to talk to all these fancy pants folks uh, to get what he wants from them. I'm also interested to see where it goes and I don't even know this having gotten to the point that I have that the ring itself is an interesting piece of this story. Like we're introduced to it as this sort of accidental archaeological find of a deer hunter in the prologue of the story. And then it becomes a bobble that's fought over by bandits that Kang kills the chief of his bandit clan that he's just working for, which I also thought was interesting. Even in that role, he is not in charge anymore. He's just sort of like playing along and he makes off with this ring and is wearing an oversized piece of jewelry. It's like it's huge. The rock is huge. It doesn't uh-huh. really fit a normal person's hand. Most people see it and think that it could be almost a wristlet or something, it seems like, that it's that large. And the stone is very impressive. And people keep saying it's almost like a bloodstone. And it almost looks like this normal thing that we're used to, but it, it just has some sort of weird sheen to it. And then the fury with which he fights to reclaim it in the swamp as they're walking to the city and like how he loses himself in the search for it rather than the battle. I'm interested to know what that's all about. And this whole courtesan player, uh political maneuverer kind of guy, if that's all him or if it's part of the, partially this ring and if he's been possessed by it and it, it sees ways to use Kane to its own ends. Um I don't know what we'll find out with all that.
0: Yeah, I, I automatically uh, jump to the Lord of the Rings, wondering conclusion that it has some sort of power over him. But yeah, the, the the instance where he loses the ring in the swamp and digs furiously, and he's able to sort of reclaim it, that's a very powerful uh entry within the novel.
2: Yeah, with his mercenary band dying all around him, right? Like it's suddenly he is heedless of anything else other than the recovery of this this ring
1: he kind of doesn't care anyway i mean he lets them die of the swamp trials they we got a giant python we got a big spider uh he's pretty like he doesn't care they're all tools to his end which is getting to this city
2: right yeah he doesn't care they're they're kind of like your your uh foot soldiers in warcraft right like you you send those uh, a wave of those first and you've got your, your heavy hitters in the back and you know that you're going to lose 80% of those guys during that that first skirmish, but it doesn't matter. Uh, what you need them to do is break away through the enemy's defenses so that you can bring your heavy in and do some real damage, right? He's, He's just using these guys to get to the city.
0: Yeah, I like once we get to the obelisk, there's the, the bit where... Uh, when things get dire and we're getting down to the last men, Cain actually, there's a remark that he puts his like he he calls to two of his poorer archers to one angle on the attack, basically to create an asymmetric uh, situation where the Batrachian barbarians, Uh, scale at one point versus the other because there's a statement there that he just knows that they wouldn't be able to us to hold the ground on an attack you know from all sides it's it's tactician like it's cool that we're seeing kane in a lot of the same ways that we see uh conan presented across various stories at this point we're seeing this is kane uh the, the the elder or kane the tactician or kane the i don't want to say st- like uh statecraft but the politician also at play
2: yeah he's he's all around uh a leader but a very selfish leader right it's, it's all self motivated
1: they're all gonna die anyway like why not die in service to Kane? <laughs> the
2: pi- the Python guy. Yeah. He was, he was, he was done for,
1: um, Oh, I just mean, I mean, to like, we're all embers in the wind to Kane. Uh He's around forever. And mm-hmm. ask me again in a century. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Luke, you brought up that intro chapter and this intro chapter to this book hooked me very quickly. Um, I I loved this dichotomy of the the hunter and the hunted and the 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 blood on the ground and it's just an idyllic scene and and suddenly it is not and you you feel pity for the deer while at the same time feeling you know this, this hunter is just doing his his job it's it's all very visceral in this non emotional way if that makes any sense like it's 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 cold and and hard and factual like this this deer gets hit by the arrow the guy sees the blood trail he follows it and gets his quarry it's
1: it's really cool it is very matter of fact about the job of the deer hunter
0: yeah i i liked it it was it was very uh pragmatic and real like this is this is that gritty level of detail that Wagner brings into it and there's there's almost a level of uh like Manly Wade Wellman like what's the like verisimilitude like it's believable the way that you are getting the the statements of what the archer is going through and what what it's like to track a deer after having, having struck it with your arrow. It's all authentic the way that it reads. And yet also it's, it's, it's a fantasy novel. So it comes across that way, but it's, it's so well done and immediately it's recognizable. So it's, it's not like otherworldly. It's just, it's a hunter who's <laughs> going through the motions, but yet he finds this magic ring.
2: And we don't really know how that ring moves from this person to the next person. Do we?
0: Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a mystery thus far for me, for sure.
2: And that's, that is very one ring. Like it's, it wants to be found, which is pretty neat. You hear that? You hear that? (laughs) (laughs)
0: So
2: that's, those are the things that I really love. The, the, uh, intro chapter, um, Cain. We talk about Cain as a scholar, and that how that meshes with Cain as as this courtesan, and Cain as this tactician slash mercenary. Mm-hmm. So the the mystery that's being set up to me is what what is it's it's uh, I've I've reached a point at which the the story refers to the Bloodstone just as Bloodstone with a capital B, Bloodstone, which is pretty interesting and understanding more about what bloodstone is will be uh, pretty neat, I think because chapter six toward the end of it. And I don't know if you've made it this far, Luke, but toward the end of it, it, it becomes very similar to one of the final chapters in the, the gunslinger mm-hmm. Uh the, the man in black is showing Roland, the dark tower and what it is and, and let there be light. And, and he's taking them on a cosmic ride through the universe that's that's mm-hmm. kind of where we get with this chapter and and that's pretty interesting
0: and and the bloodstone also it's like it's a sacrificial altar, so it's it's that literal kind of thing too right like the the big the big vehicle yeah it it really the, the questions that lie at this point about a third of the way through the story is or I guess are what is this bloodstone and does it have control over Cain? Like what does Cain think he's going to gain from it? And kind of what's the civilizational consequences? Like that's where my mind goes. Like knowing that, like why the hell did you have the first, like this, the, the, the early chapters dealing with Cain embarking on this adventure, you know that this is going to become something of like, consequence within the larger world stage i'm really excited to see where that goes like (laughs) once once kane gets out of the swamps and gets on back get on back wherever he gets back to like what he what he's gonna be doing
2: yep i'm i'm excited this this was this was an interesting read i felt like some of the the chapters were a little imbalanced in terms of in terms of length um six especially is, is pretty long but it's it's action packed and it's it's good it is good you can certainly see the howard influence and the um michael moorcock influence and and maybe even the the lovecraft and clark ashton smith like the the weird tale pedigree is is pretty evident in in this novel so far
0: i would agree well do we want to go ahead and Put a pin in it? Are we are we close to a wrap-up point, do we think? Do we have anything else we want to hit on?
1: No, I think we're at that part where the piano plays and everybody waits on pins and needles for the next episode.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, so let's go ahead and maybe we can do this shout-out a couple times over uh, and at this point over some some podcasts because we talked about it last episode, but I think it bears repeating across a few a few instances with this season that we're not the first, the first folks to be talking about Carl Edward Wagner's character Kane. Like this is a a topic that's been addressed in a variety of other shows, but really the, the the main show that's out there that's readily accessible that folks can kind of clue into is a podcast that's called uh, the dark crusade. And so uh, that is a show that uh has been going for a few years but basically i guess they call it their second season but really throughout the year of 2018 they talked about Kane's stories and they actually are following the same story structure uh that we're doing just just talking about Nightwinds as kind of a piecemeal introduction to the character followed by bloodstone and uh they've talked about a variety of other Wagner material. So they started with more of his horror type stuff. And it's a, it's a show that has been published on a more irregular schedule, but they have a lot of deep blog posts that are also available on their page. So if you just look for, I don't know, the dark crusade, uh, yeah, Carl Edward Wagner podcast, you're going to find it. But what's the, what's the address, Josh?
2: It's the dark crusade.
0: Cool. Yeah. So, Their most recent post is from August of 2020. I'm seeing as of the time of this recording. And it's about, it's called Three People is a Movement. Recent publications on Carl Edward Wagner. And so there's uh, a discussion of the Weird Fiction Review, number 10, uh, which is about collecting like Carcosa uh, publications. And then there's a couple different other uh, Wagner-centric publications publications but you know it's a longer form blog post that's there but as of the time of our recording they are currently working themselves through the novel the dark crusade or 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 dark crusade as it were uh so yeah so check them out and you know differences of content differences of opinion differences of personalities on the mics uh but probably if you're into our show and you're into the weird fiction and you're into Carl Edward Wagner, there's going to be some overlap with, uh, with what's going down over on that show.
2: Yeah. There's, there's room for lots of voices on these topics, uh, all contributing to what, uh, our pal El Goro calls the, the great conversation, um, which I think is a cool way to think about all this chatter that, uh, you can get over the airwaves on the internet free of charge. And, uh, Ah, uh, the Dark Crusade podcast is uh, focusing on on Wagner and his works and Kane in in particular. Although they have covered some other stories, so nice. Definitely check them out.
0: So that's a uh, that's a that's a shout out there, Josh. If people want to uh, find more of of our shenanigans, listen to more of our rambunctiousness. What's the uh, the appropriate venue for that?
2: Uh, that venue would be the Chromcast.blogspot.com. That is our unassailable mountain fortress on the internet. You can also email us uh your thoughts on any of these shows or or uh readings or books or movies. Tell us your one thing. Uh that's the Chromcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh all of those are at the Chromcast. And uh, you can call us. That's eight five nine four two nine. Crom. 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 I have never called you before. I have no tongue for it.
0: And of course, get your parents permission. You don't want to be making phone calls, running up the phone bill. The last thing you want to do is have to face that at the end of the month.
2: Yeah, it is 99 cents a minute. Dude.
0: But we tell <laughs> you, you your fortune.
2: That's
0: right. <laughs> avoid, avoid that. My cousin did that when we were, like, young. Ran up a a stupid, stupid high phone bill.
2: (laughs) Uh, Did you ever call the Nintendo tip line?
0: No, I called uh, the Sierra Club. Or not Sierra Club, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, Sierra, like the the, the folks that did King's Quest. Uh Like those games, like Sierra Games. I would call up uh, Sierra Games for tips on... uh, Well, I had the Black Cauldron on like floppy disk or like like uh you know on on the computer and also I had King's Quest four and five and I would call up the tip line occasionally to get help with that. Nice. Uh that's probably with, a couple bucks a minute. Man, it will and so the thing was with with the uh the Sierra like games tip line you would call and they would like you would have to sort of like work through the decision tree to where you were within the story oh, and then it would offer like a series of clues to solve whatever the problem was and so you would just be like dude skip to the <laughs> skip to the solution i don't i don't like do i feed gerky the apple do i feed <laughs> do i feed him like a banana what's the deal on on the black cauldron how do i, I get this for it
2: yeah and they want to make that money with their uh listen the horn king is after me right now as we speak i need some help how do i do this
0: i don't want to jump into the cauldron i don't get all the points That's what I always did. I always won by jumping into the cauldron and sacrificing myself, but I never got the full story uh, for the Black Cauldron. But whenever you called Nintendo Power, was it more direct or was it the same kind of situation?
2: You you were placed on hold for quite a while, and then eventually you got to talk to a a Nintendo counselor who was an expert on whatever game it was. Um, Uh I never called because my mom would have killed me, but uh, I was at a friend's house and we called. I'm I'm pretty certain that that friend's mom got pretty upset about it. <laughs> That's funny. I was, I was just a bystander. I didn't dial the numbers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Dust it for points. I, my, my calls to Sierra, it probably totaled in the half dozen, like the whole time in high school. But it would be like I would get to some crux within the game. And I'd be like, listen, mom, I don't know what to do. Can I have two minutes? Two minutes. And it would be like, in the kitchen on the the phone that had the the cord it was an honest to god phone it wasn't even cordless it was dialing it up
2: The long cord uh,
0: the long cord in the kitchen so you could be like making hamburger helper on the other end of the kitchen uh with the cord stretched
2: Someone one guys... up the phone in another room and
0: yeah get off the phone i'm on the phone Rhonda. you guys all know yeah i know I that's my older sister Rhonda. Get off the phone, Rhonda. I'm talking
1: to
2: Sierra. <laughs> I'm talking. Got to figure out how to win King's Quest Four. <laughs> that's that's all to say that you can call us at that uh, that eight five nine four two nine Crom number and yeah. uh, leave us a leave us a voicemail and tell us what's up.
0: Yep. <laughs> and get your get your parents, commi- parents, uh, parents' permission always. <laughs> all right. Next time you come back, we'll be talking about Bloodstone again. We'll be a little bit further down the left-handed path. Bye. (laughs) That was a little bit of a tangent, but it was
2: kind of fun. I loved it. It was great.